0: Thank you.
1: Now I'm green. Oh, there we go. Thank you. You know, many times I've heard that my um, son preaches like his dad. I've never heard anybody say that I sing like my son, but that's, that's certainly true. <laughs> but he made his mother very happy because she asked that uh, he would sing uh, when we were here. But I really appreciate the invitation. You know, to be invited once to somebody's church to preach is a great honor. Uh, to be invited back is a real surprise. So I'm, uh, of course, I told him I'd read him out of the will if you didn't invite me back to preach, but. <laughs> so we're very happy, my wife and I, uh, to be here. We're very excited that uh, DJ's pastoring here, ministering here. Every time we come here, uh, I sense a great spirit. You know, I love to come into a church. You can tell a lot about a church in the first few minutes when you walk in the sanctuary. Because when people are talking and fellowshipping and, my, uh, I'm Pappy to Elijah and my other grandsons because I had a wonderful Pappy and it was my mother's father. Well, Pappy was an old German and he believed when you come to church, you walk in, you don't talk to anybody, you sit down and the service is over, you get up and you quietly leave. And I love my Pappy, but I don't agree with that. So I love to hear a church that's fellowshipping uh, before the service and after the service. Because after all, that's what the church is. We're the gathering of God's people. And uh, we are called out of the world to be together. And it is a great, great honor and a great privilege to um, be here. Uh, I've never uh, preached between two kangaroos before. This is exciting. (laughs) I guess if I say something they don't like, they'll kick me right off the pulpit. But uh, you guys really do go all out for vacation Bible school. And that is great. And that is exciting. Well, I invite you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. And we're going to look at verses 15 through 22. You know, with all this happening in our world today, uh, with this being 4th uh, of July tomorrow, I wanted to talk about the Christian and culture. Uh, our culture is radically changing. It seems like every 10 years, it gets worse and worse. And our culture is becoming more like the culture of first century Rome. And so it saddens our hearts to see what's happening in America. And though I'm sure, like me, at least I would hope, most of you are very excited uh, when they overturned Roe versus Wade. And that was a tremendous, tremendous blessing. You know, it's funny, though, how history r- repeats itself. Because when Washington crossed the Delaware, he told his soldiers they could roll Roe versus Wade. So. Um, <laughs> Hey, that wasn't as bad as the scarecrow joke, I mean, gee. (laughs) Well, if you notice in Matthew chapter 22, and we're going to be looking at verse 15. Matthew 22 and verse 15. Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. They sent out to him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true, and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. Tell us therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, why test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. So they brought unto him a denarius, and he saith unto them, whose is this image and superscription? They say unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, render therefore unto Caesar The things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. When they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. Father, we come today and we ask in these few moments that you would speak to our hearts. Lord our hearts are burdened for what we see happening in our nation, but yet Lord we know that we have a God in heaven. We know Lord that you've not abdicated your throne. We know Lord that uh, nothing has surprised you. Nothing will surprise you. We know that we are working according to God's plan to a predetermined end, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you will establish your kingdom and how we look forward to that coming. Lord, for now, we're called to live within this culture. We're called to be a witness to our culture. And so, Lord, encourage our hearts here this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I don't know if kids learn that in school anymore. This is the preamble to the United States Declaration of Independence. It was adopted by the Continental Congress on July 4th, 1776, which is why we are celebrating Independence Day tomorrow. Author David McCullough says, America isn't a perfect society, but it is the freest, most just society on earth. We are blessed. The idea upon which our country was founded, that all men and women are created equal and carry with them a God-given right to life and liberty is an idea that we offer to the world. We are privileged to live in the land of the free. Now, we acknowledge that many have given their lives in service to their country so that you and I could come here and freely worship today. Nobody was following you. Nobody took your picture when you walked in here. Nobody hindered you from deciding if you wanted to come to church or not or if you wanted to go to which church. And We have freedom of religion among many other great freedoms that we still have, although we see many of them being whittled away inch by inch. American citizenship is a precious thing. I remember when Gigi got her citizenship and that was a big deal because to be an American citizen is a tremendous blessing. We want our children, we want our grandchildren to have the same freedoms that we have. Sadly many of us worry that our children and grandchildren will not grow up in the same America that we grew up in. Benjamin Franklin said, only a virtuous people are capable of freedom. As nations become more corrupt and vicious, they have more need of tyrants. You know, we often lament the uh, you know, terrible political process, not process, but politicians that end up being in charge. And this isn't a, you know, about one party or the other. There are just so many corrupt uh, you know, politicians in our country. And sadly, um, as we, we look at that, we just wonder, what is the hope of America? Sometimes I think we get the leaders we deserve. You know, you can't, you can't slaughter 60 million babies and think that God's going to turn a deaf eye, deaf ear to that. God is not going to overlook that. And yet, I think the only fact that what saves America is people like this, churches like this, that there is a seed of godliness and Christians in this great land of ours. Jesus and the apostles lived in a very secular uh, time as well. Uh, their society was not at all what you would call Christian, or even have Christian influences. They lived during the time of the Roman Empire, where the Roman emperors yielded absolute authority. They could take your life on a whim. And so we have not yet gotten to that point in America. I often tell people, well, they're not throwing us to the lions yet. (laughs) Hopefully that day will not come. So the Apostle Paul was a Roman citizen. And at times he took advantage of his citizenship. It was in Philippi where Paul and Silas were beaten and they were thrown into prison. The next day the city magistrates came and wanted to tell them they could, they could leave. And the apostle Paul said, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison, Acts 16, 37. So Paul said, let them come out and take us out of prison because it was illegal for them to do that. Later Paul was arrested in Jerusalem and the Jews wanted to have him scourged. And so in Acts 16 or, or in Acts 22:25, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, "Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned?" If you know the story of the book of Acts, Paul eventually was imprisoned in Caesarea for 2 years. When he stood before the judgment seat, he appealed to Caesar, which was his right as a Roman citizen. And so God used his citizenship to take Paul to Rome to the very heart of the empire where he could preach the gospel and actually establish the church there. We have the book of Romans in the New Testament. So as Americans, we have freedom of speech, we have freedom of religion, and like the Apostle Paul, God expects us to use these freedoms to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now what's great about us is we have dual citizenship. The New Testament clearly shows us that, Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have American citizenship, if you're a citizen today, and we have spiritual citizenship, heavenly citizenship. So in a sense you could say we have the best of both worlds. We are actually aliens living alongside of residents. In 1 Peter 2, 11, Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, the Greek word sojourners is a compound word from beside and house. We live alongside the people of the world. We are to be in the culture, but not of the culture. We are to witness to the culture. And so this is what God has ordained for us. The dictionary has three definitions of the English word alien. Number one is extraterrestrial beings. Well, I see a couple of them out there, but non citizen resident of a country. Number three, outside or somebody who does not belong to or does not feel accepted by a group or society. Now, I feel I belong in America, and I'm very thankful that I live in America. And I enjoy the freedoms of America and I love celebrating those freedoms such as on the 4th of July. But if you're like me, if you're really living for the Lord, aren't there times you just you feel like you don't belong? Aren't there times like you just feel like the world's going one way and you're going another way? At least I hope you feel that way. Because as the world continues to influence our culture... It continues to become more and more ungodly. The Apostle John says in 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. So we're in the culture, but not of the culture. What's the old hymn say? This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. And sometimes, if we're honest, we get a little bit too comfortable in this world. And I understand that. But more and more, I think it's very possible that the Lord is going to make us very uncomfortable in this world. It could get to the point where here in America, we're going to have to pay a real price to live for Christ. We're going to have to make a decision beforehand what we're going to do. So the issue is this. How should we, as Christians, who really want to live for the Lord, how should we relate to this increasingly pagan culture? Well, this is a question that has been debated. We're not the first generation to debate this question. It just seems like historically, America has become more and more anti-Christian, not just non-Christian. Well, some Christians take the approach of retreating within the walls of their family, their church, their Christian school, or different Christian institutions. And I'm not against any of those things. We do find refuge in our churches. We do find refuge with people who are like-minded and in our families. On the other hand, on the other end of the spectrum, there's people who have tried to Christianize our culture and, and our government. Now Americans, we have a somewhat unique perspective because we enjoy so many freedoms that God has allowed us to have. If you lived in North Korea, if you lived in China, if you lived in Vietnam or many other places in the world, Think about the Muslim countries. If you lived in one of those countries and you were a Christian, they have a far greater challenge than we do. So I think sometimes we're a little soft. I think sometimes we, we take a lot for granted that we're a privilege to live in this great nation of America. Now, some believe that America started out as a Christian nation. Well, America did have many Christian influences. Can we see those on government buildings? We can see those on uh, d- different parts of our, uh, like the Bill of Rights and, and, and what I just read to you about we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights. So we do see a lot of Christian influence within our nation. And so some believe that, well, our job is to call our nation back to God. But again, America is a secular nation. We understand that. G.K. Chesterton called America, a nation with the soul of a church. I wonder if he would write that today. And so, what is to be our response, living in this increasingly secular culture? Now, I think this account of Jesus here in Matthew helps us out. And so, here is the Lord Jesus Christ confronted with a question. So, this was a very carefully laid plan that was doomed to fail carefully laid plan that was doomed to fail. Look at verse 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. Now this occurred in the last week of Jesus' ministry. You look at the ministry of Jesus and you can pretty much divide into three years. The first year is the year of inauguration. Who is this Jesus? The second year is the year of popularity where crowds are flocking to see him and hear him, not so much because they believed he was the Messiah, but because they saw him heal people, and he provided food for them, and he was quite popular. But in the last year of ministry was the year of opposition. And so the religious leaders were really opposing him, and they're really beginning to stir up the people to say, who is this Jesus? So he's already cleansed the temple of the money changers back in chapter 21, verses 12 through 13. He's just given a parable against the religious leaders in chapter 21, verses 28 to 32. And then in chapter 21, verse 31, Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, the tax collectors and harlots will enter the kingdom of God before you. You and I can't understand how radical that was. For Jesus to tell these so-called religious leaders that if you took a poll in Israel about who's, who are you sure is going to go to heaven? Well, they would say, well, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And Jesus comes along and says, no, 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 no. The people at the lowest spectrum of society, the people that you look down on and think are completely lost, they're going to go into the kingdom of heaven before you are. Because at least they can acknowledge that they are sinners. So these Pharisees, in particular, were the ones who were leading the charge against Jesus. Now, there are parallel passages with this one here in Matthew. In Luke, it says, so they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be righteous that they might seize upon his words in order to deliver him to the power and the authority of the governor. I always chuckle when I read that. They sent spies who pretended to be righteous. (laughs) You ever seen secular people pretend to be righteous? (laughs) They just don't quite pull it off, you know. So our Lord is always aware of this. He's always aware of the plotting of evil men against the godly. Make no mistake about it. We're not in a political struggle in America, though in a sense we are. It isn't about one party over the other party, which is the better party. We are in a spiritual struggle. We're in a spiritual warfare. I mean, what is more evil than abortion? What is more evil than taking the life of the most innocent, helpless in our culture? You know, Isn't it something that how the liberals are just going nuts over this? by the Supreme Court. It hasn't outlawed all abortion. I wish it would have. It just simply turned it back to the states. But their idea on abortion, it's really like a cult for them. It's like a religion. And so they're just going crazy. And yet, I see this and I hear this and I think, so you're, you're mad and, and, and you're marching in the streets and before the Supreme Court because you can't kill babies as You know, easily as you you used to. Many people don't like to hear that language. They don't like it when we talk so plain. But that's what it is. And I realize, too, if you are here, and maybe through circumstances, you've had an abortion. It's not an unpardonable sin. And God loves you. And God can forgive you. But when it comes to this legislative issue, it's a spiritual struggle. Ephesians 6. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So notice what happens in verse 16. They sent to him their disciples with the Herodians. Former enemies unite against Jesus. This is really interesting. You got people that hate each other But they hate Jesus so much more that they're willing to unite together to attack our Lord. You see, the Pharisees and the Herodians were adversaries. The Pharisees were the legalists. They were the ones that initially, they were a good group. And they sort of were created to protect the law and and, and all that. The Herodians were just the opposite. They were the people who, who sided up to Rome. Uh, they, they were the Jews who were, you know, had a strong allegiance to Rome. The Pharisees saw these Herodians as traitors. and Yet here they are, joining together to attack the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, probably Jesus knew many of these Pharisees by sight as he ministered around Jerusalem. Many of these men were, quote unquote, religious people, religious people. They were men who knew the way of God, but generally, they didn't follow it. And they wouldn't follow it specifically. They're like many people today. They don't want God's truth to impact their marriage. They don't want God's truth to impact their business. They don't want God's truth to impact their morality. And so these so-called religious leaders joined together to attack Jesus. So here's what they do they brought a politically charged issue to Jesus. Verse 16, Teacher, we know that you are true, and you teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Tell us therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? So first of all, they approach Jesus with flattery on their lips, but they have treachery in their hearts. Psalm 12, 3 says, May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud things. Imagine the arrogance of these men. I mean, they're approaching the Lord Jesus Christ. And by this point, it's the last week of his ministry, he's done some amazing miracles. You know, he's had the lame walk, he's had the blind see. He's even called people who were dead back to life. And yet, with all this evidence, they still will not believe. And so what they said at first contains some truthful statements about Jesus. He does not regard the person of men. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ is is very fair. His judgment is always just. It's always righteous. But if they really believed what they just said, they would have followed Jesus. You know, you know this. Many of you live long enough like I have to know this. What people say and what they do isn't always the same thing. And what people say they're going to do <laughs> doesn't always work out that way. So it's not what people say, but what they do that reveals their character. So these leaders are not interested in truth. They're interested in entrapment. You know, it's often said that Satan will take a tablespoon of lies and mix it in with the lake of truth. And so that's what's happening here. So what's this deal about the taxes? I mean, what tax are we actually talking about? The tax here is the poll tax. It was an individual head tax. The Jews had to pay yearly. The English word census comes from this word in the Latin. Now, the Jews paid many taxes, like (laughs) we do. But uh, this tax was the most offensive because the denarius was used to pay this tax. The denarius was a silver coin minted by the emperor, engraved with his picture, and the words, Son of God. So here's the emperor claiming to be the Son of God, and uh, he stamps his coins that way, and so these Jews were required to use the emperor's coin in order to pay this particular tax. In fact, in AD 6, Judas of Galilee incited an insurrection over this tax, And you can see that in Acts 5.37. So they think they have Jesus in a dilemma, in a dilemma. Now, I had a professor in college that used to use this illustration of a dilemma. So I'm borrowing it from him. It's not really mine. He would always say a dilemma is seeing your mother-in-law go over a cliff in your new Cadillac. Now, I don't particularly subscribe to that, Okay. I'm sure there are any wonderful mothers-in-laws in here today. But um, if Jesus said, okay, don't pay the tax, the Herodians would run to the Roman authorities and accuse him of rebellion and have him arrested and likely killed. Yes, Jesus will be killed by the Romans, but it wasn't the time yet, and it wasn't the way and manner in which the Bible had predicted that he would be. But if uh, Jesus said to pay the tax then the Pharisees would incite the people against him for siding with the Romans. So this looks like one of those dilemmas. They've got Jesus in a corner. I don't know how long it took them to come up with this, but they thought they had this, you know, this accusation that, that Jesus could not get out of. <laughs> I always like it when people try to entrap Jesus, you know, where they try to put God in a corner even today. Psalm 37 says, The wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees that his day is coming. Even early in Psalms, it says the Lord is in heaven and he laughs. You know, we often, we look at what's happening in our culture. And we see how wicked men are prospering. And and how wicked men and women are are leading. And and just turning this country into into terrible ways. And, And we sometimes we fret. But we need to remember something. The Lord sits in heaven and he laughs at them. God says, all of your feeble attempts are going to come to nothing. And so Jesus answered with a surprising response. Don't you just love the Lord? I love to read the Gospels and see how Jesus interacts with people. He so often surprises people. And that's just fantastic. Verse 18, but Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, why do you test me, you hypocrites? Jesus' response must have shocked these self-righteous people. I mean, he openly calls them hypocrites. He spoke to the core of their wicked hearts. You know, the word hypocrite comes from a a Greek word. It means behind the mask. And it was Greek actors in their plays would take a a mask and they would hold it up. And they're presenting themselves as somebody that they're not. That's what what a hypocrite is. These men are presenting themselves as godly and righteous and so concerned about Israel. But none of that's true. They hate Jesus. They want to destroy him. So Jesus immediately sees through their flattery. He sees their deception. He knew their true motives. The parallel passage in Luke 20 says he perceived their craftiness. That's the idea of shrewdness or subtlety. They thought they were being so subtle. But Jesus knew what their heart was really like. So Jesus exposed their hypocrisy, exposed it. Verse 20, he said to them, whose image and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. Jesus went to them and said, show me a denarius. They proved their hypocrisy, for when Jesus said to them, show me a denarius, they had one in their possession. Now, the Romans allowed for a special copper coin to be minted for normal commerce that didn't have the emperor's image, didn't have Son of God on it. Yet, when Jesus asked for a coin, (laughs) they had no problem producing one because the Pharisees were using Caesar's money. See, hypocrites always want things their own way or they want things both ways. And so hypocrisy eventually turns into duplicity. Hypocrisy eventually involves deceiving other people. Duplicity is lying to oneself. When you're a hypocrite and you, you are a hypocrite and you constantly are you know, using hypocrisy, sooner or later, you begin to believe your own lies. That's duplicity. You actually begin lying to yourself. and Eventually, duplicity will turn into apostasy. So very often, the Lord appealed even to these Pharisees, but they rejected him. They would not believe. They saw all the evidence before them. But they were more concerned about their own place, their own reputation in the eyes of the Jewish people. And I think they actually thought they were doing God's will when they arranged to have Jesus taken to the cross. Because hypocrisy results in self-deception. We have to be careful, Um, I remember years ago, I was preaching on something similar to this and I was preaching out of Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 is about obeying civil authority. So it happened to be on a holiday weekend and I can't even remember what holiday weekend it was. And we had friends who had a, a house up at Deep Creek Lake and they invited us, our family to come up for the day. So we were up there and and my friend was down by the shore and he had a rod and he was just casting it out into the lake and reeling it back in. He said, I'm going to run up to the house. So I picked up his rod and I'm standing there just throwing it into, not expecting to catch anything. And While I'm doing this, I see this boat coming around the shore. I thought, hmm, that's interesting. So I keep going and keep going. Well, two park rangers came up and they said, may I see your fishing license? I said, I don't have a fishing license. Well, I'm not actually fishing. I'm just throwing this thing in the <laughs> <laughs> Guess how that went? So I got a ticket or a summer or whatever. And I remember then the next Sunday I went back to the church and confessed my sin. So um, made it all right. <laughs> but it's, it's amazing, isn't it, how God can, um, I think he has such a sense of humor, you know. So Jesus clarified civil responsibility for us. He had this coin, I can just see him, can't you, he has this coin in his hand. And and he turns to them and he he takes the the side that has Caesar's image on it and he says to them in verse 21, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. The word render means to pay or give back, it implies a debt. It is used of something that's an obligation, something that is not optional. So Jesus was clearly saying, pay your taxes. I mean, that's clearly pointed out in other passages of Scripture. He was also saying, fulfill our spiritual obligations to God. Jesus put politics in his place. He put politics in his place. The things that are Caesar's refer to human government. We live in America. We, under, we live under a, a governmental system, locally, you know, statewide, nationally. And so Christians are to be good citizens. We are to pay our taxes. We are to obey the laws. First Peter chapter 2, therefore submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king is supreme, or to governors, or to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers. For the praise of those who do good, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. In Romans chapter 13, Paul says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. There is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Do we have a right as American citizens to protest? Yeah, we do. But do we have a right to, you know, bomb abortion clinics or, you know, injure people or step outside the law because we think we're doing it for a higher good? No, we don't, because we're to obey civil authority. The only exception is when man's laws conflict with God's law, and I think this is something that either in our generation or in coming days we're going to have to deal with. You remember when Peter and John healed the lame man going into the temple, and then they kind of got in trouble for that, and finally they stood before the, the Sanhedrin, and they told them, don't you dare preach in the name of Jesus. In fact, they threw some of them into jail. <laughs> and that's a great story. The angel comes at night, and he lets them out. So in the morning, the magistrates say, go bring those men in. So they go to get them, and they say, well, they're not there. Well, The prison doors are shut, and, and all the guards are there, but the men aren't there. Then somebody else runs in at the same moment and says, uh, they're down in the temple uh, preaching. <laughs> and so they've called them in again. Didn't we we tell you not to preach in the name of Jesus? That classic statement in Acts 5, 29. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Think about Christians in other countries who are in prison right now for preaching the gospel, for even having a Bible. How many Bibles do you have in your house? i got a ton of Bibles in my house, and i got another group of Bibles in my office. And yet there are Christians who would love to have just a copy of the Bible, or maybe a copy of one of the Gospels. And we take so much for granted, don't we? And they pay a price. And maybe the Lord is going to test the church in America. I've often thought this. I've often thought that maybe before the rapture, and I don't know this, I just have often wondered. We've had it so good here in America? Is he going to allow some persecution to come to weed out the church? You know, when the ship's sinking, the rats are the first to leave. Are the people who are nominal Christians, they're not going to be able to withstand any kind of persecution. And so maybe God's going to purify his church before he calls us home. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. We're commanded to pray for all of our leaders, good or ungodly. First Timothy two, 1 Timothy 2.1, Therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. For kings, all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Well, those are the things that are Caesar's. The things that are God's do not belong to Caesar. And his claim of deity was completely wrong. When civil leaders step outside their God-given responsibilities, outside their God-given realm, we have no obligation to obey them. As Christians, we always must see our responsibilities too, and involvement with civil government within the greater responsibilities to Christ our Lord and, his, and the King. We're part of the kingdom of God. We're part of His church. We're God's people on earth. We're to be salt and light. We're to be his witnesses to a lost and dying world. So Jesus, I think, in essence was saying, the Roman coin was stamped with the image of Caesar, but you are stamped with the image of God. Let's remember in these turbulent times that the political issues of life are secondary. The spiritual issues of life are primary. Alistair Begg wrote, when I become preoccupied with the kingdom of this world, I have made what is primary secondary and what is secondary primary. Political and social agendas must take a distant second to my being a committed follower and disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. My identity in Christ is what defines me, not my political affiliations. Is it wrong for Christians to be involved in politics? Not at all. I think we are, we are to be salt and light, even in that arena. But the rea- reality is, we have a far greater allegiance and a far greater kingdom that we belong to. Isn't it fascinating? Now, this account that I just read to you in Matthew is also found in Mark and the Gospel of Luke. But isn't it amazing that the Lord puts this in in Matthew's account, and we know that Matthew is the former tax collector. And I have always found that fascinating. You know, another disciple of Jesus was Simon the Zealot. A zealot back in those days was somebody who was zealous for Israel, even to the point of committing murder and assassination. But only Jesus could take Simon the Zealot (laughs) and Matthew the tax collector and put them in the same group of disciples, because that's what the gospel does. The gospel takes away all earthly veneer and makes our allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus once again silenced the voices of his critics. Verse 22, when they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. Luke 20 says, they could not catch him in his words. In the presence of the people, they marveled at his answer and kept silent. I believe that's, a, in a sense, a prophecy of what's going to happen one day. Some people have the idea they're going to stand before God with all these quips and you know, humorous sayings, and they're going to make their case at the, at the judgment of, of, of seat of God. It's not going to be that way. Every mouth's going to be stopped. Amen. Every tongue's going to be held. Yeah, there will be a time when we all confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. God the Father. Even Satan himself is going to have to do that. But at the judgment seat, his judgment would be so just that we won't have an answer. And every mouth will be stopped. And so I hope you are at the judgment seat of Christ and not the great white throne judgment. That's for the lost. But even at the judgment seat of Christ, we're not to go there in fear. But we should go there with a sense of have I let my Savior down? As he examines my Christian life, you know. Have I, have I got too, too connected to this world? What are some things I need to back away from? and What are some things of the kingdom that I need to lean more into? And that's a question only each of us can answer. Father, I thank you for these dear people. I know they love you. They love the gospel. And Lord, we thank you that we live in a country where we can come here on the Lord's Day. We can hear the truth of God's word. It doesn't matter how much falsehood and lies that are out there that we hear all the time, every day. But Lord, we have this incredible Bible. When we're in the word of God, we can disseminate, we can understand, we can can know what is the truth and what is error. Lord, there are so many people just right outside these doors. They are so blinded by Satan. And, Lord, we just pray for our country. We pray for those who are lost. We pray for our leaders. We thank you, Lord, that we're numbered among God's people. Continue to bless this church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
2: Amen. Thank you, Dad, for that timely challenge from God's word. Would you stand as we close in an invitation hymn? If you have a need, the altar is open. Our deacons are here. Our deacons' wives are available. Maybe you have a decision to make. Right where you are but let's sing this hymn together as we close
3: encamped along the hills of light ye Christian soldiers rise and press the battle ere the night shall veil the glowing skies against the foe in veils man
2: I'll be here after the service. We have others who will be here, our deacons, our deacons wives who will be available for prayer for any encouragement that you need. Uh, Remember, there is no uh, Sunday evening service tonight, uh, but I again want to thank my uh, dad for coming and preaching, my mom for being here. It's just so great to have them with us this morning. Would you close with me in a word of prayer? Father, thank you again that you are God, that Jesus, your son, is our God, and our Savior, that He is the King of Kings, that He is coming again, and God help us to live as the aliens and strangers you've called us to be, shining your light in this dark world until you come back for us. We love you, we thank you, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, you're dismissed.
0: That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you'd like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, we have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m. and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our wanna program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again, we thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you soon. But until next time, stay faithful.